0: How are you feeling? Worn down? Weary? All this pandemic and lockdown dragging on, rather? Or maybe you're feeling upbeat. Spring has sprung, the vaccines are going out well, and then we might even get a bit more freedom tomorrow. Well, that's uh, that's good. I'm glad if you're feeling upbeat. It's a bit fragile, though, isn't it? Bit fragile. Even an English spring is rather fragile, let alone the pandemic situation. We need some encouragement that's firmer than that, that's more secure. We need something that stood the test of time. So let's get encouragement from a prophecy that has certainly stood the test of time. It's 2,700 years old. Would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61? Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken hearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Could this be about Isaiah? It's the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah. And he preached good news that Israelites who were captive and broken hearted about it would be released and their broken hearts mended. That they would escape from cruel Babylon. Sounds like Isaiah. And yet the description here in chapter one and the chapters around it is far greater and bigger than anything Isaiah would do. It's about someone far greater than Isaiah. And we get more evidence of that when we compare it with the chapter we heard last week. Last week we were in Isaiah 53, famous prophecy of God's servant who would die. We read of him dying there, but we then read of him alive again. And if we compare the two, we'll get more of a clue who Isaiah 61 is about. Could we have a diagram on the screen please? See, last week we were in Isaiah 53 and there you've got this servant of God who suffers, dies and yet rises in a chapter that is surrounded by descriptions of the glory of Zion. Zion was another name for Jerusalem and Jerusalem is a picture of the church, the church of the Lord Jesus. There we have God's suffering servant, his suffering is going to bring glory for God's church. This week we're in Isaiah 61 and there's someone called the Anointed One. And the description of him is surrounded by chapters that are about the glory of Zion. The Anointed One and his work is going to bring glory for the church of the Lord Jesus. I hope it's obvious to you, it's the same person in each. The Anointed One is the suffering servant. Thanks, we we can remove the diagram now. In other words, Isaiah 61 is all about Jesus. That wasn't any surprise to you, I don't suppose. But I need to show that it's not just an assumption we have, it really is here in the Bible. This is written to lift us up and encourage us by getting us to consider Jesus. So, let's consider him now. That's the aim this morning. My aim is to encourage you by us now considering Jesus. So, First of all, we have here the Anointed One. And we're going to start not in Isaiah 61, but in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, after years as a carpenter, unknown outside his small and poor town, Jesus has started to become publicly known. And he's got himself a reputation as a preacher worth hearing. And one Sabbath day, he goes to the synagogue of his hometown, Nazareth. And the people flock in. Let's hear what our local boy has to say. Let's see what he's like. And he stands up to read the scripture. And a scroll is passed to him. Children, remember, they wouldn't have had a Bible like this. They would have had what we call the Old Testament in lots of different scrolls. And this scroll is passed to him. It's the scroll of Isaiah. And Jesus scrolls through it until he gets to chapter 61. And then he reads... He reads, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he stops and he sits down. They sat down to preach, by the way. They stood up to read and sat down to preach. And he sits down. And everyone's looking at him. And they're wondering what he's going to say. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's what he says. In other words, what the prophet prophesied hundreds of years ago is happening now. And it's happening through me. Did the people sit up, silent and stunned? Did they whisper to each other? But he's the son of Joseph, the local carpenter. And he's claiming that he is the one we've been waiting for for hundreds of years that the prophet prophesied. He's claiming that for himself. Well, who is Jesus claiming to be? Let's look at Isaiah 61 or you can look at Luke 4 verse 18. It's exactly the same. The spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. He's claiming to be the anointed one. What's the anointed one? Well, children, I wonder if you know what a coronation is. A coronation is when a king or a queen is crowned. Now, our queen, Elizabeth II, her coronation was shown on TV. Apart from one part of it. There was one part of it not shown on TV. It was regarded as too special to have just all the ordinary people seeing it. And so there was a point in the coronation when the cameras turned away. So you couldn't watch. As the Queen had this done to her. The Archbishop of Canterbury had a spoon that had been made for Henry II. That's an old spoon. And with it, oil was placed on poured onto her head. And her hands, the palms of her hands and her chest. She was being anointed. That's what anointed means. Oil was poured on her. And down through history, it's been used to show this is the rightful king or this is the rightful queen. Including in Old Testament Israel. In fact, that's probably where the British got it from. In fact, they refer in the coronation to how Old Testament kings were anointed. Well actually in Old Testament Israel also when they got a new high priest they would show here is the high priest by pouring oil on him, anointing. The anointed one was someone God promised to send who would be both king and priest forever. And Jesus was claiming to be that person. Marked out, not by oil poured on him, there's no record of oil being poured on Jesus, but marked out by what poured on him. Children, you could look at verse 1. What's going to be poured on him? The Holy Spirit is going to be poured on him. Isaiah 61 verse 1 is a very Trinitarian verse. Trinitarian means to do with the Trinity, God who's three in one. Here we have the Lord, God himself. And we have the anointed one, God's son. And we have the spirit who anoints him. And Isaiah 61 is going to tell us something's going to happen. God is going to do something that's so great that Father, Son and Holy Spirit are together going to do it. Let's see what that great thing is. So we've had first the anointed one. Secondly, came with good news for the poor. Let's go through through verses 1 and 2 and see what Jesus came to do. First of all, preach good news to the poor. Now how do you get your news? All sorts of ways of getting news, isn't there? And you've got to be careful about how you get your news. Are you sure it's true and not fake? Down through history, news has often been spread by just rumours that people pass to each other. Same today, it's just the rumours are over the internet. But when Jesus says he preaches good news, he doesn't mean he's going to be a neighbour passing a rumour over the garden fence. No, he means he is going to be the mouthpiece of God. That's what this word preach means. He's going to be like the king's herald, the mouthpiece of God. And he's not going to just say the good news. He's going to make it happen. And who is his good news to, verse 1? It's to the poor. Now Luke, we've read Luke because Luke says Jesus is going to do this. And in Luke we often find Jesus with the poor. But it doesn't just mean poor financially. Yes, we do find Jesus with the financially poor, but we find him with all sorts of other poor people, even tax collectors who were rich but in a sense poor. And some of what that means, in fact, some of Isaiah 61 is explained back in chapter 57. So if you're in Isaiah 61, would you just turn back one page? Well, it's one page in my Bible, might be two in yours, to 57. And we've got various explanations of Isaiah 61 here. For example, verse 15. 57 verse 15, for this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly. Poor in chapter 61 means lowly in chapter 57. Poor means lowly. What is it to be lowly? Someone who's come to the end of your resources. Isn't that the case when you're poor? You've come to the end of your resources, your money. But here it means it more generally. Come to the end of your resources in all sorts of ways. It it means someone who's recognised, I cannot cope myself. I need God to lift me out of my troubles. Luke wrote about Jesus at the synagogue in Nazareth, preaching Isaiah 61 to set the themes of his ministry. That Jesus would then bring good news to people who'd come to the end of their resources. People who'd seen, I need God to lift me up. And that is a speciality of Luke's Gospel. I hope you realise the different gospel writers have different specialities they focus on. And with Luke it is good news for the lowly. So for example, there was a sinful woman. Oh, she's got a reputation. Everyone knows that she's a sinful woman. The respectable avoid her. And when she gate crashes a dinner party, the host is embarrassed and he's outraged. He knows and she knows she's a sinful woman. But Jesus brings her good news. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. Or Luke, not the other gospel writers, chooses to tell us about a criminal being executed. He's certainly at the end of his resources. He's at the end of his life and he can do nothing about it. And he admits, I deserve all this. I deserve this execution. He's got no hope. I accept he has because Jesus brings him good news and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Good news for the lowly, people who've come to the end of their resources. But what else does Jesus come to do? He's the anointed one, come to next. Bind up. The brokenhearted. Do you see that in verse one? Bind up the brokenhearted. Children, have you fallen and cut yourself badly? I'm sure just about every child has done that, haven't you? Fallen and cut yourself badly. Have you needed it bound up? Maybe one of those. Are they called steri-strips? Those sticky things to bind it up, or maybe stitches, or maybe a bandage, tightly binding it. Imagine it's not your skin that is broken, but it's your heart. Broken hearted. Who are these broken hearted people? Well, look back at chapter 57 again. Chapter 57, verse 15. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Do you see that? To revive the heart of the contrite. Compare it with to bind up the broken hearted. It's the same people. The broken hearted means the contrite. Contrite. What's that word contrite mean? It's a really important word in the Bible. You can't be a Christian without being contrite. Contrite means broken hearted for your sin. It means troubled by your sin. It means sorry for your sin. Jesus came to bind up the heart of people like that. Or, in the words of verse 2, He came to comfort their mourning. And again, Luke tells us about this. Luke loves to give us examples. I'll give you just one. There was a man in the temple. He was a bad man. He got rich by taking money off the poor. A bad man he was. And he went to the door of the temple, but he just stood there in the doorway. He was so aware of how bad he was, he didn't dare to go further in. And he just looked down on the ground. He didn't dare to look up. And he just said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was contrite. He was broken hearted about his sin. And Jesus says... He went home accepted by God. He went home welcomed by God. He went home loved by God. His broken heart bound up. Let's see the next thing. The anointed one came to... Well, what's the next thing in verse 1? To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. In June 2012... A British aid worker, along with her three colleagues, was captured by the Taliban in Afghanistan and taken to a cave and kept hostage in a cave, guarded by cruel men with machine guns and assault rifles and rocket propelled grenades. Now, what hope has she, have they got of being released from their dark prison? guarded like that well it's going to take someone stronger to come in and overpower the captors and release them and that's what happened thankfully the SAS came in in an amazing raid and killed all the Taliban men and released safely the prisoners stronger people overpowered the captors and Luke again it's Luke who chooses to do this he tells us about Jesus saying, when there's a strong man who's armed, guarding his house, the only hope is for a stronger man to come in and overpower him. And Jesus was talking about the strong man was the devil, and the stronger man was Jesus himself. And at the cross, he overpowered Satan. Jesus took all that we can be accused of, so Satan who, by the way, his name means accuser, can no longer accuse us. Jesus brought us under God's protection so we can now resist the devil and he will flee from us. Jesus has defeated death to release us from being captive to the fear of death. We don't need to live in fear of death. Now, often the Bible tells us what guilty sinners we are. Often the Bible uh, fires its sharp arrows into our hearts telling us what stubborn rebels we are. But here the emphasis is on how needy we are. Jesus would be quite right to be angry with our stubborn rebellion but instead here we find, oh he's so kind and gentle and pitying us in our need. Let's see one more thing in in this section. Let's move into verse 2. The anointed one came to, next thing, verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Were you listening carefully as Isaiah 61 was read and Luke 4 was read? And did you notice which part of this verse Jesus did not read in the synagogue? Jesus stopped before he'd finished the verse. Did you notice where? He didn't read the bit that says, and the day of vengeance of our God. Why not? What's going on here? Well, a bit of explanation. The prophets looked ahead and they saw the Messiah was going to come. By the way, Messiah means anointed one. They saw the Anointed One, Messiah, was coming. They saw he would bring God's favour and would bring the Day of Vengeance. In other words, the Day of Judgment. They didn't see that there was going to be a big gap between the two. That he wouldn't do it all at once. But he wouldn't do it all at once. And that's why Jesus didn't read the second part of verse 2. And that is such good news that Jesus didn't read the second part of verse 2. Because he didn't come then to bring God's vengeance. He didn't come then to bring judgment on sin. He came then to bring the year, in other words, long time. Compared with a day, it's a long time, isn't it? The year of God's favour. God's undeserved goodness to sinners. Later he'll come to bring the day of vengeance... One day he'll come with a day when all that power, all that strength that was used 2000 years ago to release prisoners, on that day will be used to smash those who refuse him. What will that day be like for you? Are you still holding out against him? Well, Isaiah prophesied this. Seven hundred years ago, uh, sorry, seven hundred years later, Luke recorded How Jesus so wonderfully did it. How he is the anointed one who is, he's got such good news for the lowly. And He's he can bind up your broken heart. And this strong saviour who went through such suffering to release us from the darkness of our sin. He's exactly what you need. He's the saviour you need. There's no one who combines strength and gentleness like him. There's no one who combines love and competent determination like him. And he invites you to trust him. He invites you to come and have your heart broken, uh, sorry, bound up by him. He invites you to come and have him pour out God's favour on you. Have you asked him to do that yet? Have you asked him for that? And if not, why not now? The anointed one came with good news to the poor and thirdly, thirdly, clothing them with joyful praise. Here's the result of this in verse 3. We move into verse 3 now. What's it like when Jesus has bound up your broken heart and released you from captivity to sin? We get this lovely picture now in verse 3. Children, have you had a bonfire? Bonfire in the garden is good fun. Be careful with it, but it's good fun. Have you seen the ashes afterwards? When they've cooled down, they take a long time to cool down. Don't touch them for a long time afterwards. But but imagine when they have cooled down, you get a handful of them. I don't recommend that. It's really messy, isn't it? Imagine you put that handful of cold ashes on your head. Ah, You'll be in trouble, won't you? What a mess that would be. But that's what people did then to show they were really sad. Especially to show they were sad for their sin. In other words, contrite. But verse 3 says, people with ashes on their head, sad about their sin, Jesus is going to give them a beautiful crown. And not only that, you then get this. Children, if you had a birthday cake with candles... I'm sure you have. Have you seen a candle that is just really dimly burning? It's really feeble and it's, it's, it's about to, if there was just a puff of wind, it would blow out. Well, verse 3, where it says a spirit of despair, the word there, despair, is, is the word that comes from a candle that's about to go out. It's really feeble, a spirit of feebleness, a, a life about to be puffed out. And it says to people like that, Jesus will give oil of gladness and a garment of praise. Sounds really odd to us, doesn't it? Oil of gladness. But it's like this. You're showered and your hair's done and you've got on your best cosmetics, whatever they might be. And you put on your best clothes and you're going out to a party or a wedding. That's the picture. That's what the oil and the garment mean. You're in your party clothes or your wedding clothes and you're all done up to your best, but not uncomfortably. No, it's happy. That's the picture. Now, the Christian life is not one long party, singing jolly songs all the time, never touched by trouble. But it should be joyful because we've got such reason for joyful praise. Because look what Jesus is like. Look how much you're loved. Well, there's a lot we've missed out. Uh, we haven't quite got to the end of verse 3, but I'm going to miss that out. Um, because I must end by pointing out again why this is here. Do remember why it's here. And can we have that diagram up again, just to remind us? The anointed one has come to make Zion glorious. Do you remember? Here it comes. Just like the suffering servant came to make Zion glorious, we saw last week, the anointed one has come to make Zion glorious. Our chapter 61 is surrounded on both sides by chapters about the glory of Zion. Remember, Zion means the church of the Lord Jesus. Okay, thank you. Don't separate Jesus and his church. He loves his church. He came to build his church. And this news of the Anointed One is to encourage us and to fill us with confidence in Him, but then we have a part in Him building His church. Let's just move on to verse 4 and end with that. Verse 4. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities. Who's the they? The people who were broken hearted, but he's bound them up. The people who were captive to sin, but he's released them from the grip of Satan. They will do it. Jesus came to fill us with joyful praise and to get us involved in his work of building the glory of Zion, the church of Jesus. And so before this chapter we have, chapter 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. The anointed one, the light of the world has come. He has released you from darkness, so now shine. Reflect his light to others this week. And after our chapter we have 62, verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn. Her salvation like a blazing torch. Or verse 6, I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest. Until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The anointed one has brought us good news. So don't keep silent. Tell the good news to others this week. The anointed one has done all the work. And he's going to build his church. So don't be discouraged and don't keep silent. Keep praying to God We're in a sorry state. We look so weak. Build your church and make her the praise of all the earth. Isaiah 61 gives us such a beautiful picture of Jesus, the anointed one. It's there to lift us up. It's there to encourage us. But not to soothe us into sleep. It's there to stir us up into joyful action. Let's pray for that now.